0: Well, good morning. What are we to make of that? It's quite a challenging passage, a passage that we're familiar with, I imagine. have heard it, many of us, since childhood. Our theme is bad news, good news, in that order. It's about relationships breaking down and then God promising to send a Messiah. I want to deal with the elephant in the room are we dealing with fact or fiction we can discuss this further on Tuesday if you want to join us on the zoom call that we'll do on Tuesday evening did someone literally have a conversation with a talking snake all scripture Is inspired breathed out by God it's profitable for teaching us about so many things I love these early chapters of Genesis I would say that Genesis 1 to 11 are perhaps the most important chapters in the Old Testament because they contain in seed form every major doctrine that you can think of these are absolutely foundational to us and yet sometimes as westerners are we in danger of being more literal than god intended we come with our western scientific enlightenment approach to things and we think this is written here am i to believe it exactly as it is told well in the first century there was a man called philo he was an Hellenistic Jew, and this is what he wrote about this story of Adam and Eve. Now, these are no mythical fictions such as poets and sophists delight in, but modes of making ideas visible, bidding us resort to allegorical interpretation guided in our renderings by what lies beneath the surface. Okay, that's a bit heavy, but he's saying that we should treat this as an allegory, as if every part is representative of various truths, and we must dig beneath the surface to see what is being really conveyed to us. So myth is not shorthand for untrue, made-up storybook, but rather it's an ancient, pre-modern, pre-scientific way of addressing questions of ultimate origins and meanings in the form of stories. It's answering basic questions like, who are we? Where do we come from? So even Jews at the time of Jesus didn't interpret these passages literally. They said these are myths inspired by God which are conveying vital truths which we should meditate and dwell on but not perhaps as literally as some of us have been tempted to do in the past. And this is the way I was brought up. I was brought up to read this as if it was factual history such as I might read in today's newspaper. But I've come to see that that's perhaps not the best way. This is in essence what we can all agree upon, however we regard this passage. Before there was anyone or anything, there was God. God has always existed and chose to create a world filled with life, harmony and beauty. The pinnacle of creation. This is Genesis chapter one was humanity, men and women created in God's image to image him to represent God on earth and steward the land we had been given. So we're created in a relationship with God for companionship to have offspring. And as long as we stay close to God and listen to his promptings, all will be well. As we've read this morning, we've had many decisions to make and some lead us further away from God, others bringing God closer to us. But tragically, and that's the story of Genesis 3, sometimes called the fall. They made some wrong choices, which led them further and further away from God and to do things which were out of harmony with God's will. Instead of drawing closer to God, they became alienated from God and from one another. Their choice of independence had devastated, devastating consequences. So in the Garden of Eden, paradise, that's what the word means. Adam and Eve walked in perfect communion with God. Theirs was an intended love union we are all to enjoy. And then we read of their fall. Although the story doesn't use the term for sin, we read about how they turned from that union marked by love and trust to autonomy, self-will, and as a result, shame and alienation. Their sin does not separate God for them, from them, for he continues to pursue them all the way out of the garden and ultimately tracks them through the cross to retrieve them from the depths of Hades. But their sin does alienate them from God, for their new fallen instinct is to see God as one from whom they must hide in shame. In failing to trust and obey God, and by turning from God's face, to go their own way, they miss the mark of that once perfect union. So we read of Adam and Eve and Cain and Lamech, the Babel, the flood. It's all this downward spiral of evil, jealousy, rivalry, murder, exploitation of women, destruction of nature continues to this day and then there is this promise in verse 15, and you heard David Suchet read it with a very ominous, serious voice as he got to this verse. It says, God will put enmity between the serpent, that's the one who tempted you to sin, and the mother of all living, Eve, and between one who is of the same spirit of the serpent, serpent the enemy himself, and a descendant of Eve, Mary, Mary's son will inflict a fatal blow to the enemy, but in doing so, he would himself be painfully wounded by a blow from which he would recover. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you, this is God saying, between the serpent and the woman, and between a descendant of Eve, ultimately Mary, and hers he will crush your head a man will arise he will crush the serpent's head but in doing so his heel would be bitten inflict it with a wound now I've quoted one Christian from the first century how about one from the second century this is Irenaeus writing about 150 AD Christ completely renewed all things, both taking up the battle against our enemy and crushing him who at the beginning had led us captive in Adam, trampling on his head. As you find in Genesis that God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and the seed of the woman. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel." From then on, it was proclaimed that he who was to be born of a virgin after the likeness of Adam would strike the serpent's head. Irenaeus continues, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son made of a woman. He's quoting Paul from Galatians. The enemy would not have been justly conquered unless it had been con- been by a, been a man made of woman who conquered him. For it was by a woman that he had power over man from the beginning, setting himself up in opposition to man. Because of this, the Lord also declares himself to be the son of man. So renewing in himself that primal man from whom the formation of man by woman began, that as our race went down, to death by a man who overcame and as death won. Victory over us by a man. So we might by a man receive victory over death. So contained within these inspired words is the promise spoken thousands of years before Christ. That he would come, the Messiah, the anointed one, to undo to regain paradise. It's not just paradise lost its paradise regained with that which is pre- coming out of Christ being greater than that which was ever lost in Eden. In Genesis three. The serpent isn't identified as the devil. But there is a verse in Revelation which makes it clear. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him.